are we yeah. really going to have these these speakers hanging right there <laughs> the entire sh- it's going to throw off my whole look it's going to throw this is throwing off my whole the speakers don't you have anything smaller that's pretty dead on yeah yeah i've definitely done a show or two like that um, hold on you've never done excuse me lady with the clipboard you've never done a show before this is your first event <laughs> i have a really oh I got to find the picture. I have like a sneaky picture that I took of a client that was doing that very like clipboard and like pointing at something kind of look. Um, and I like captioned it like, oh, we're going to need you to flip the whole set. <laughs> you are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones and the A131 and A133 large diaphragm studio condenser microphones at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath has asked us to read this. Have you noticed that all good things come in threes? XLR, AES, meat, cheese, and tortillas, Michael Lawrence, Chris Leonard, and Kyle Chernside, and now the Alan and Heath AHM Matrix family, AHM64, AHM32, and AHM-16. 96 kilohertz FPGA-powered sonic powerhouses for projects of all sizes. Who says matrices have to be boring? Not us. We've never said that. Kyle said it once, but we proved him wrong. Check them out today. Hi, everybody. What's up? Welcome and welcome back to the Signal to Noise podcast. I'm Sam Boone, and today I'm joined by the awesome Kyle Turnside. Oh, thank you. And the great Chris Leonard. Oh, the great. I like it. How's up? <laughs> We're in your that's wheelhouse. All we need. We're in your wheelhouse that's all tonight. We need. We'll just stop right there. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll take it. I think that's enough. We'll, we'll end the episode there. No, um, I got to take my daughter to a concert this week. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Um, it was, uh, hashtag proud dad shit right here. Yeah, it was, you know, uh, you know, it was at the TLA, which if anyone knows is basically like a, I don't know, maybe a thousand cap room or something like that. Um, in, in, in Philly. Um, and, uh, it's a sold out show for Tate McRae, uh, which I'm sure most people listeners probably don't know who it is. That's okay. Uh, I wouldn't know either if it wasn't for my 13 year old daughter. Uh, but she's been a super fan of hers for a long time. Um, and it was, so we, we get in there, um, and you know, she wants to be like right at the front. So I'm like, all right, fine. And for a second, I tried to explain to him like, Hey, it would probably sound better over here. And I'm like, well, I just stopped myself. And I'm like, Nope, this is not worth talking about. Um, and I was like, tonight is for her, you know? Um, so we're like three rows off, you know, standing room only three rows off the barricade, and as the crowd starts coming in, I'm like, I forgot something very important. My earplugs. <laughs> oh, you didn't oh, say no. that in the text messages. Dude, you left oh, that out. Oh, my God. Now, here's the funny thing. Um, the the So, and I had talked to the front of house engineer ahead of time, you know, about the show. And she's a soft singer, kind of like Billie Eilish and stuff. And it, we talked about all those things. And he was like, yeah. yeah. And fighting, fighting the crowd noise, he's like, is like you know, damn near impossible in terms of like all the girls screaming, you know, singing along. Um, and then we got to the show, like sure enough, I've, I've sent Sam and Kyle a video of this. Like, I mean, you can barely hear her vocal most of the night and not because of any lack of mixing abilities or PA or whatever, but like you can't compete with that singing of the audience. Um, and, but you know, I got, exciting things like i got to watch my daughter watch the show right like that was like the experience for me was just getting getting to watch her um but the cool thing is like and i was like video when i was shooting video i was like shooting videos of her watching the show you know <laughs> um and i talked to the front of house guy afterwards and i'm like hey great show I was like hey i know what you're talking about in terms of kind of fight the vocals stuff and he's like yeah they were so loud tonight or whatever and i'm like look i said but that you did your job, right? I'm like, it's like you can't, you can't fight it. You, you're not gonna beat it. And Kyle, you've talked about this before in terms of you, you can't yep. beat that. And um, I was like, you delivered an experience. I said, 
that this show was the was the world to my daughter and to all these people here like that's so don't lose sight and we've been talking about this a lot lately of not losing sight of what we do and it's just a good reminder sometimes of like you know these people are it's they had the experience so um yeah it was so one of the things that i want you to talk about is seeing your daughter's reaction so you basically taken her to your first show and to this show and that was the the highly anticipated thing that we were talking about in the text messages like her reaction to the show obviously we're there for sound quality Mm -hmm. the show presentation like what was for catering you know did they have a cool bus company did they give out crew t-shirts like those are all things that are important to us like did she meet all the criteria that was important to her that night like what did she say when she got back in the minivan (laughs) um yeah well the I think what she said was probably capped the fact that so after we were the last people in line to do, you know, to buy more merch at the end of the night because the the first shirt wasn't enough. I had to buy a poster at the end, too. Um, Of course. (laughs) uh, It happened to be freezing ass cold. $400 Um, t-shirt and poster. Right. Uh, It was super cold. It was like 27 degrees with a wind chill of 16. Um, And and we get outside and like there's a crowd hanging by the bus. And I'm like, do you know what they're doing? And she's like, no. I'm like, they're waiting to see if Tate's coming out. And uh, um, I'm like, do you want to wait? Like, I'll, I'll wait with you. It's cool. She's like, can we? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we waited out there for a freaking half hour in 16, 16 degree windshield weather. Sure enough, she came out there, got to get a selfie with her. And I mean, she's legitimately crying and shaking after that, right? So like, she got the full experience. And like, when we walked in and we're standing there, like, you know, three rows off the barricade, she's like, you mean she's going to be right there? You know? Uh, so yeah, it was everything she could have dreamed for. So like, I've been taking her to shows since she was three years old, but this was definitely the pinnacle so far because, you know, she's been to like mm-hmm. big arena or stadium shows with like Shawn Mendes and Taylor Swift and things like that. But I mean, you're, that's not the same experience as this. I mean, this was like no. that, that. I mean, it, she'll, it's, I think it kind of my post was like, this was a lifetime memory for her that, you know, that was cemented. So it was kind of cool. And, to just, and she's 13, 13. Yeah. Well, so she basically, she even chose this for herself. Like the other thing she might've kind of got right. forced into doing it because dad was there or someone was visiting or whatever, or it was a free ticket. Like this was something that she chose too. Yeah, absolutely. I, man, that brings back so many cool memories. <laughs> well, and Kat and I were talking about this the other day. Like there's something different about club shows, like the club versus arena. Like it's, it's just a whole different feel. Like it's a whole different environment, even to go in and mix or tech like it's to me it feels not quite night and day but it's it's a whole new world yeah in uh, a lot of ways yeah absolutely um well that took longer than i planned to be so i don't, I don't want to take away from from our guests time here um but the housekeeping if you haven't already I keep saying it every week join our discord the link is in our description um, that's really where our community is evolving and growing. And so I encourage you to go over there. We do have a new Instagram account as well. Uh, we've been a little behind on that. So please go follow us on Instagrams, um, at Sickleton Noise podcast. Um, and so, so how about this? Maybe submit a ticket stub or a story or yeah. a shot of your first club show or something that really inspired you. And we can jam that up on the Instagram. Yeah. Facebook yeah tag us in your, tag us in your stories. Yeah. yeah tag yeah. us. Absolutely. And, and we'll, we'll throw it out there. I, I, I do want to mention this. Yeah, go for it. Mention social media. We have the absolute coolest community I've ever seen in my life. Like I'm just going through some of the analytics of Facebook. We've literally declined almost nobody and blocked nobody from our group. That's unheard of in this day and age. I mean, Will Smith is smack and 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 smack Wow. <laughs> wow. I got to witness it. Remix. Wow. <laughs> Are you kidding hold, me? Am I oh, and, and hold on. And you're on your computer, Mike. So I'm going to stop the recording. So the amazing thing is you said smack and it went smack, 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 smack. It, it was, it was, it, it was timely. It was good. Fucking A. <laughs> but thank you to our community. Um, we're up to about. 4,200 users all across the world. We have people in Belgium and our mm, good like, beer. Someone needs to be talking about fucking waffles here. Like what's going on? Oh, yeah. These people or are muscles, not sharing muscles. things like we went to yeah. muscles, muscles and Brussels. Like 
wherever you're from, uh, that's another thing that you could start shouting out that we could put on Instagram is I want to see other countries that are involved in audio in production around the world start sharing some pictures. Yeah. Um, also I'm, I'm sick of looking at United States stuff. I'm really tag us, tired of this place. Tag us in your taco pictures. Tag us. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Oh, and the next thing, shout out to Audix and Alan and Heath for being awesome yes. sponsors and Paul and Courtney over at the clinic, yes. which Chris is wearing his clinic shirt. Awesome. He'll be on shortly, probably within the month. We'll have Paul back on to talk about some uh, stuff, late night TV, the roots, the clinic, collab. Booyah. <laughs> I'm done. Cool. Uh, well, I've been excited to have our guest for a while. I, I purposely waited a little bit because I wanted for him to get some time in his current role before we brought him on. So we had some, some, some more time to talk about there, but, um, so he's past his 90 <laughs> days. He's got his, <laughs> right. he's got his bennies. Um, so, uh, Aaron Pelligian, uh, who y'all have heard me mention his name a ton, um, and if you're in our Discord, you've seen his name a ton, and he's already been, you know, a serious contributor. Um, for me, um, Aram was my right hand man for six years or a little six years and a change at IMS, um, and we did uh, some of. Uh, we did historic events together. We did Philadelphia's largest um, outdoor event in history, the you know Eagle Super Bowl parade. Um, we did. They, they got that one. Yeah, yeah good job. we did. Um, we did uh, IMS's biggest shows. These ten thousand person general sessions. We got to do all kinds of crazy stuff, and it wasn't even the biggest shows that we did. Some of the stuff we got to do together was amazing. Um, and I, you know, I wouldn't be where I am, and IMS wouldn't be where we uh, are if it wasn't for what Aram did through his time there. Um, so you know, it was it was tough to see him go, but I'm very happy to what he's doing now, which is. You know, he's a recording engineer and live engineer for the president's own United States Marine Band, which is freaking amazing, wow. right? Um, uh, so, Aram, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, yay! Glad to be here. <laughs> Only you and I get that. Um, anyway, <laughs> and maybe the few IMS people who who might listen yeah. to this. Anyway, um, so let's. I, I, there's a lot of places I want to go um, with this. I, I think. Um, Let's talk about uh, from uh, your experience at IMS. So, and you and I have talked about this. Um, when 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 I interviewed you first, the irony of it was you were a eh, maybe this guy will work out right. Like we were we, we were nervous. Like we just because the experience wasn't fully there or it wasn't fully realized or whatever um and on both parties i think right um and uh you were doing a lot of like in-house work as opposed to you know moving shows in and out and stuff like that um and you quickly grew to the point where and i've talked about my own um insecurities or whatever with having people under me who ultimately outgrew me in knowledge and depth and all those things and you quickly surpassed a lot of my knowledge and some of my experience and things like that and i had to wrestle with that so what was that journey like for you at ims yeah it was really it was interesting for me so i ended up at ims because i uh had decided about a year and a half prior to joining so uh it, sometime in 2014 i basically was like kind of sick of the jobs i was doing uh, I, I was working in-house at a university doing like audiovisual stuff but not really a whole lot of it uh and i was in a wedding band that was playing every friday and saturday night uh and the grind of that uh was getting a little old and i was just every once in a while we'd have these events you know where an external production company would come in and do the fancy town hall or whatever it is and bring in some cool gear and then get to pack up and leave and go do it somewhere else um and anytime that happened my reaction was like can i just like go with them and go <laughs> do the cool show like i don't want to be just sitting at my like desk job anymore after this so uh i i kind of made the decision where I was like, all right, I'm going to like make a change, make a, make a leap. And, uh, the hardest part of that for me was actually the first thing I had to do was quit the wedding band, the thing that I enjoyed mm. so that I could get enough 
like freelance AV audio experience to even have a shot at a job like IMS. Um, and yeah, so for me, it was something where I had like a pretty broad base of experience, but not a lot of specific things I could point to on a resume and be like, oh yeah, I've totally done X, Y, Z, exactly what you're looking for. So like the paper version of me, like right. didn't really like it was like you said, it was kind of there, but not really definitive. Right. Uh, but I had still done a whole bunch of stuff once or twice. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, was there a, do you, do you, if looking back, do you remember, was there a point where um, things kind of really clicked for you or you, you noticed a big leap in your abilities and what you were accomplishing at IMS? Do, do, is that a, a tangible moment or time frame? Or maybe a gig that kind of pushed that over the edge? Hmm. I'd have to think about that. I think it was more just after the first few months. Uh, um, actually, I guess a good example would be helping when I helped you guys prep for you guys did that big in the round show in San Antonio. And I wasn't even on the show. Oh, right. But okay. I helped yeah. a lot with the prep for that show and like especially like the systems building stuff that needed to happen to make that happen because um, it, was, it was just a complicated like corporate show in the round with a bunch of different twists to it. And uh, yeah, it, it was one of those gigs where I was able to kind of hop in just in getting the rig ready before it even left the building. And I think after that was kind of a moment where I was like, maybe I a little bit know what I'm doing. Like <laughs> right. just, uh, you know, the first steps are here and let me just kind of keep rolling with this and see what happens. That's awesome. Yeah, that was definitely, that was definitely a fun one. Um, well then let's, was Chris a good boss? <laughs> <laughs> we'll chat about that later. Awesome. Nice. <laughs> um, well, let's then one of the areas I wanted to go, um, because this is a lot of the work you did, or I legitimately even tasked you with actually writing this paperwork while we were at IMS, um, <laughs> is uh, what um, let's talk about the A2 role um, in, in corporate. And, you know, we've, we've had people kind of ask about it for us to talk about it. I know we don't maybe talk too much about corporate. Um, and, um, you know, the, the term A1, A2 and rock and roll corporate can be a little bit different. Um, so, what what does an ideal A2 look like in a corporate world? And I, and I get there's going to be varying degrees, or you and I at least get there's going to be varying degrees of levels of shows. So I know we talk about a range here, um, but can you maybe talk a little bit of kind of like that job description, some of the expectations uh, on site, what are the big things that, you know, you are looking for or what are you not looking for, all the, all the things around a, an A2 there? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing for me is that, uh, especially in corporate, and and this applies to any show, which is what's great about it, is an A2, uh, you're my eyes, ears, and hands up by and behind the stage when I'm stuck at a desk in some rear part of the room. Uh, so, you know, the for me, it's I really need someone that I can trust that's going to do the that's going to be able to get everyone mic'd up reliably and interface with clients cleanly and you know um present a positive and welcoming experience from that side of things and also just kind of you know have their head on a swivel and be like hey there's this thing i'm hearing hey there's this thing i'm seeing hey you know uh that microphone that guy just walked by me and his microphone's all messed up you know can i jump in there and fix that and uh that's really i'm tight behind the desk during a show and i have you know headphones that i can pop on here and there but i'm hidden cues and basically one of the biggest things in corporate is you never want a surprise when you pull up a fader uh, you you want to know what's going to happen before you even pull up the fader. So uh, having an A2 that's really good at what they do really uh, minimizes the chance for bad surprises. <laughs> <laughs> how, how about though, like, 
you know, one of the things I like to talk about is like that's a lot of that was maybe kind of pre-show or or in the show moment. But like mm-hmm. I, I often describe often the A2 at times is almost more crucial than the A1 in that you're typically responsible for wiring the whole system, depending on the level of the show. Right. But I mean, pre-show setup is definitely like with the trays and the labs and how you're going to lay out your situation right. where you're working back there is way more intricate yeah. than the closet the front of house person is mixing yeah. in. I mean, cable management, um, patching, like knowing where, you know, uh, when there is a, something not working, how to find that little. So talk about maybe just some of that uh, that side of the setup and what you need to own from from, from the show. Yeah. Well, the crazy thing about it, um, uh, or we'll, we'll go with the crazy thing about it, is the bigger the show gets, the the more specialized an A2 position gets. Mm-hmm. And it's Absolutely. like, you know, when the show gets really, really big, your job is literally like take the microphones and put them on the people. And that's about it. When you get these like small to medium shows, mm. the A2 and the A1 are like building the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and the uh, especially if the A1 is able to communicate like, hey, this is what we need to do. This is how this setup's going to work, you know, and ha- having someone that really, you know, understands signal flow and understands RF and understands comm and can kind of look at a pile of gear and be like, OK, cool, this makes sense to me and confer with the A1 and be like, is this what you're is this what you're thinking? OK, great. And then, uh, you know, go from there and work as a team where you, uh, there's a little more independence. It's, you know, here, I can give you like a broad overview, a list of like, here's the like, you know, the next few things that I'm trying to accomplish, not just the next one task, mm-hmm. the next few tasks. And then the A2 can go get those things done and then come back and be like, hey, I did this, this and this. Hey, this thing didn't work. I had a question about it. Um, do, what did you want to do for this? What did you want to do for that? Okay, cool. Let me take that information and whatever the next things are and then go back and do that. Because um, a lot of times as an A1, you need you need a little bit of interrupted, t- uh, uninterrupted, sorry, time <laughs> uh, at front of house to get things straight. Uh, you know, if you're in a situation where you're building a board file from scratch or even just programming cues or you're tuning the system once that part's ready to go. And, you know, the, the, the number of hats that you end up wearing as an A2, you know, you're, you're kind of just bouncing from one to the other pretty quickly uh, throughout Sometimes the show you, uh, process. Did, did you work as like a timekeeper too um, in those smaller situations, medium size, small A2 gigs where you were the actual timekeeper making sure people were on and off correctly and that? And, and then my second question would be, what was the tools that you needed to do your pre-show? Um, did you look over your your list of things that were ordered? Did you make sure that you re-battery frequencies first? Like, what was your like standard setup? Mm, yeah. So uh, the first question was, uh, I'm blanking on it. Already. Timekeeper. I'm sorry. Were timekeeper. You, were you timekeeper. Basically oh, stage yeah, manager. Timekeeper. No. Uh, so it's. It's fairly rare that the A2 is acting as like that stage manager timekeeper role. Sometimes they do, but uh, often there's someone else that's better equipped. Uh, and and sometimes I mean physically equipped as in like the the one of the, a couple of the uh, most interesting pieces of gear that no one knows exist <laughs> are products made by this company called D-apostrophe-S-A-N. <laughs> And yes. they make a speaker timer and the perfect, perfect cue. cue. And uh, basically, the you know the PowerPoint advancer remote, uh, and then also like this janky little box that you know is just a countdown timer, basically. And there's a couple of different cabling options for it. And uh, a lot of times that'll just end up at a table with someone. And you know, on, it's pretty standard on corporate gigs that someone is whether it's a stage manager technical director whatever is punching time in and then starts and stops it because that also a lot of time ends up being a client interfacing position because the client will be like hey we need to shave a couple minutes off this person without them noticing so like hit that down button while they're not looking at the screen or whatever um so that's a timekeeping thing there is definitely an element of get the person ready, get them ready to go, make sure they're good to go. And then, uh, you know, when it's time, sometimes just, you know, gently shove them out onto the stage. Uh, DSAN probably used to make the hooks for theater when they were like, yes, the gong. Exactly. 
and then technology advanced yeah a little bit hook operator is also a very hook important position yeah nice <laughs> Um, and then in terms of like tools and pre-show and that kind of stuff, um, it depends on the gig, but for me as the A1, when I'm preparing a show and, you know, doing something when I know that, uh, when I know who my A2 is going to be and I'm able to include them in the process, uh, it's a lot of sharing, Hey, here's what the design looks like. Here's our broad scope gear list and the kinds of things that you can expect, you know, the, the kinds of RF, the approximate, like, are we looking at six channels or are we looking at 36 channels or, you know, just kind of the scope of what they're going to be dealing with for the week. And then usually some kind of overview of like, Hey, this is broadly where we're going to put some speakers and when we get there i'm going to have a trunk that's going to have some looms labeled in it and i'll tell you where to put them and you know that kind of stuff so it's uh having even just a quick little touch base right before the show to be like hey this is where my head's at for the show uh is usually really really helpful and then yeah there's also all the little like wireless and intercom specific bits and bobs like hey i want to get my you know, uh, my RF Explorer or whatever, or some kind of scanner so that I can, um, scan the wireless frequencies in the area and see where everything is, or just a couple little adapters in my kit. Cause I know I'm going to run into silly things here and there that I need to adapt around. And, uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a catch all, um, position. So you, you have to kind of be ready for a little bit of anything. That's what makes it fun. Exactly. <laughs> um, I'm curious what were uh, maybe some obvious ones I already mentioned, but um, your your other times at IMS, what were what were some standout things that were uh, either gratifying projects, challenging projects? Um, what was was some some fun stuff there for you? Oh man, uh, there's a few really cool ones. Um, the it's like an internal highlight reel and now I need to get it <laughs> external. Um, so yeah, the parade obviously was a huge one. Uh, let's provide a mile and a half of audio for the city of Philadelphia over the course of a few days. That's awesome. Um, that, that was a lot of fun to work together on. Um, the, a, another couple other unique challenges that really jumped out at me. The one that always continues to crack me up is Hey, let's do a musical in a tent in a parking lot in December. That's right. Um, so we had we had a corporate client of ours that uh, their year end entertainment for their families was a uh, was like in previous years a circus kind of thing or whatever. But this year they chose to have a custom written Broadway review style musical. And they brought in like a director and stage manager from New York and a bunch of actors. And it was like a mix of tracks and live band and tap dancing and singing and acting. And uh, it was everything. And shortly after kind of understanding the scope of what this project that just kind of fell into our laps was, uh, we kind of realized like, oh, uh, A, I'm going to have to learn line by line mixing to make this happen uh which i'd never done before up to that point and was just like okay sure we'll figure it out um and then b i was gonna have to kind of step in and become the sound designer in addition to the mixer for this event and really you know make it uh kind of the normal workflow, you know, at, at a lot of companies is you have either a project manager or a director or something someone who goes ahead and specs the system, builds the system, gets it ready, you know, quotes it and has all the gear ready, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and the tech will, whether it's freelance or a staff member, will kind of add things at the end or, you know, whatever little bits that they need to do their gig. But this was one where I really got to take ownership a lot earlier in the process and be like, okay, this is what we're doing. This is the kind of PA that we need to do this. And th- and that was one where we like, we needed to rent one externally. Like it was, right. uh, you know, it was something a little different than normal. And it was like, this is, these are the things that we need to make this gig happen. Let's make it happen. You know, what do we need to do to get this stuff and design it? And even down to like 
building effects queues and everything like that and QLab and you know having them all ready to go and then all the console programming and all that kind of stuff and oh yeah I'd never done it before so <laughs> it was uh that was a wild experience it was 10 shows over like three days um and it was a lot of fun I had a blast uh the it was uh a really like the adrenaline rush of that first run through like that first rehearsal scene uh of just it's it's like riding a bike and the training and like the first time without the training wheels and at there there's like that couple minutes of really unsteadiness and then it's like oh my god i'm doing it this is so cool (laughs) (laughs) so in the highlight reel both you and chris have wired up some pretty insane individuals so who was uh someone that you had to go wire up for a lab or hand a microphone off to or push up on stage when it was time that you were like wow that 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 just happened Ooh, uh what are you thinking uh, then i want to talk about how odd it is to wire someone up the first few times you do it oh it's you know what i mean no, it's certainly it, it takes a certain yeah, let's let's talk let's talk about that first while i think because yes. i can't i'm i the cast of I, people i've has, wired up some yeah. odd stuff yeah um the the whole like a2 spiel the the like i'm gonna make you up now spiel uh is yeah. definitely something that takes a little while to get the hang of icebreaker yeah a little <laughs> bit it is and, a little and bit it's, of icebreaker. It's, it's a little bit of an icebreaker it's a little odd it's a little intrusive um yeah and you have to recognize that it's a little intrusive and that you're there for them and they're not there for you um and there are people that are good at that you know what I mean? That is a like a skill that you have to like hone because there are A2s that are good at that. They work with clients and artists without making it uncomfortable for anybody. Yep. And I think that's a skill. That's a that's a total skill. It for me I, so I I this is an area I kind of liked a lot of couple things once once you've done it for a period of time i think the biggest thing that you have to gain is confidence like if you're like shy and timid when you go to mic someone like it shows especially like let's face it right so when you i have to mic up a female um and that at times that's a very awkward thing to do depending on what they're wearing and where you got to put the pack and all those things right um and you there, you can tell the difference between people who get mic'd up on the daily you know and it like doesn't bother them the least that you're about to put your hand down the back of their dress or whatever like they're just they just carry on a conversation I wire up chippendales yeah. <laughs> um to, to have mics for chippendales uh and there's all kinds of um like tricks you can do like because if 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 women are women are wearing dresses and they have no pockets, you know, you may have to like flip the belt pack clip upside down so the pack is actually so the antenna is going down into their dress as opposed to like stick up at the back of their neck. Um, there's tricks to do with like business cards and and, and magnets and stuff like that behind. Um, I know with I want to know that shit, Chris. We gotta <laughs> we gotta go there, magnets? man. You can't just what? like for those of us who just... have like lived life and. Like well, if the you're corporate world, this is the Mag- you got to yeah, go this there. Is MacGyver man. shit. Well, if you have this a dress t- and you have gun. nowhere to clip a clip, you yeah. can use a business card to the, use it as a surface to pinch between the clothing to keep uh, to clip uh, um, to clip a pack or something like that. So, um, uh, um, I mean, nine times out of ten, you typically will clip the pack to their bra if you can. But every now and then, you know, people aren't wearing bras, and so like you know, if it's a, you know, you have to go to the back of the dress. It, it, it really depends on what they're physically wearing. Um, so, so do you do you come from behind sometimes, or do you come from the forward? No. So, which, what I what I would typically do is because I've wired ears too. When you wire in ears, yeah. I always come from the back. Yeah. You know well, what I mean, I flip for, it over there. For me, the the number one thing anytime I'm, I'm making anyone up, you know, and uh, but especially women, and my spiel doesn't really change that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't really treat them differently, but the first thing I basically is. I tell them and ask them what I'm about to do yep. before I go and start doing it. Yes. Um, it's, it's a really simple thing, but uh, you know, I see a lot of people that just kind of dive in there and it's like, hold up. Like, how about you say like, Hey, I'd like to clip this pack on the back of your dress. And then um, typically they'll hang it on the back of the dress. And then if it's something like that, I'll actually run the cable up over their shoulder yep. and then clip it on either the front collar or where, wherever, 
wherever it makes sense up here and then put a little piece of tape under here to keep the cable from coming out and showing any of that kind of stuff. Um, It's a fucking art. It's an art. Even when you have to just tell them, hey, if it's going in an inside pocket or anything like that, it's just like, it's an art. It really is. And that little piece of tape you were talking about, that's important. Mm-hmm. And the little clips, like and some of those cards, I didn't even think about that. Holy shit. You don't figure it out until you have to do a lot of it really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. like there, there's a couple shows that we did every year where there's like 50, 60, 70 presenters over the course of like three days. Uh, and you're basically cycling like a panel of five people, it, four to five people every 20 minutes. And you don't have an A2. Yep. Uh, so you're like Dude. trying to trying to get mics on people and then mix a show and then get mics off people so you can get them on new people and do it quietly at the back of the room, you know, all at once. And that's, uh, you know, you, you get good at it when you're forced to. Um, but yeah, there, you learn all those little kinds of tricks along the way. I know. So like for I me just now, oh, well, say for guys. So, um, or, or for most men, you know, who have a button down shirt, right? So you have to disconnect the lock, oh. right? You explain what you're going to do, but you go into like the second button, you drop it down. Um, and then in, <laughs> it depends on how easily that drops. Now they have this thing called the sound bullet that you can, that you can, uh, attach lav the, bullet. the yeah. lav bullet, sorry. Lav um, bullet. that yeah. will weight it, which is helpful. Um, and it gets uncomfortable when the, the, the cable doesn't quite make it straight down right away. And you're kind of like, mm-hmm. have to dig around for a little bit. Um, and I'll say the thing I hate most about that is dudes who don't wear an undershirt and they're like all hairy and shit and you get your hands in there. And like, it's like, I try to shave my right? back before um, events. And, um, and so, you know, and then you have it come out like the, the, the button right before, right before the belt line say, Hey, you know, you, you, then you reattach it. Um, you clip it onto the belt for them. Preferably. I, I, I typically try to always handle it myself as opposed to having them handle it. Um, that way it's, I clip it onto the belt, say, Hey, you, you can tuck the excess in, um, I make a courtesy loop on the back of the cable before I clip the lav on. That does two things. Um, it um, it keeps it so that if they go to move or uh, move their waistline, the cable doesn't just automatically yank and pull the lav sideways. It also reduces cable noise on the cable itself because you've clasped the cable against the shirt. Um, and then the other big thing would be have to power lock um the belt pack um and tell the person hey can you please um turn your turn your phone off or at least in airplane mode while you're while you're on stage um to to reduce interference of the Mm -hmm. rf dude that's good and on on those shows like did you have a choice between a lav a handheld or a headset because what i was going to say is i have just now started to master the headset thing Mm -hmm. uh and getting even like tape on faces or in a beard or whatever the case may be like that became a new challenge for me lavs i was like dude i can do this uh but as soon as we started getting headsets like that was a that was a challenge because you kind of have to go back and squeeze ears and make sure things are comfy and uh that's awkward yeah but dude the tape thing too Mm -hmm. the tape and the little banana clips like sometimes those are key as well so that's what i'm saying you need to find out these watch a person tape a person's in-ears or a lav mic down and and remember that because you'll need it eventually yep. i want to figure out this whole headset bit like that's my next thing i'm going to master get good at yeah uh, well, that's, that's the, what the, dual, the, the dual one thing you said uh the handhelds uh, reminds me for someone who's like speaking on stage as like you know a feature presenter some kind of something like that uh, 99% of the time I want them either in a lava or headset or not a handheld because people's mic technique is predictably terrible. And, uh, unless it's like Tony Robbins or something. Exactly. Unless it's someone who's a legit professional that does that for real. Uh, you know, I, I want that, uh, that element of control again, so that there's no surprises when those faders are up. Yeah. And so with important figures, you guys have done like presidential stuff and, and, obviously you're doing navy or marine stuff now mm-hmm. do you ever double anything just in case like yeah i've doubled i've okay. doubled stuff on corporate gigs before and uh and part of it's to uh prevent or account for the possibility of a law of failing part of it's to account for rf interference um you know we're we're getting real lucky in that at this point uh 
the current generation of wireless is really darn good and it's it's hard to break that link um but it does happen on occasion and uh it's as simple as just you know now you have two of the thing and there are some definitely some little tricks to like uh like they sure makes double clips or most vendors make like a double clip and then um the one thing i was taught was actually you actually create a little cable loom of the two lav you know elements and the the cables as they come down you just oh, use little strips of e-tape and uh yeah, and man. actually loom the cables together so it still acts like one and then when it gets down to the waist you you know take one around each side and then put the packs on each side so you're covered yeah. and you split the you, I am you glad i have questions you split, i have you, more you split questions. the belt packs to the left and right hip yep. because otherwise you're you're you get your rf right next to each other so you want you create yep. separation there uh most people who are using I will say this from my experience. Most people who are requiring to use the dual lobs and dual RF is because they got burnt from a bad show. Um, and, and so they're just, they're just hesitant and, and it's just a safety blanket. I mean, I have, I don't think I've ever had to ever go to my backup wireless or whatever. I'm, I'm dual, I'm dual lobbing, uh, like that. Um, I've definitely had to maybe, maybe a podium might go out and go to wireless or vice versa, but when I'm uh, double lobbing for whatever reason, I haven't, I've never had to go to the backup. That's interesting. Wow. Huh, I'm learning so much so quickly. I was like, <laughs> I oh, know, I'm just, I'm so just many... like engrossed, I guess. I, well, so while we're on this topic, and this isn't necessarily A2 wise, Aram, talk about um, uh, you, you know, you had, um, Kyle, you had mentioned the handheld, right? So in corporate, yes. the way you have to treat the EQ and compression on a handheld is way the F different than, than rock and roll because, um, you know, you could have a person in the audience doing Q and nine times out of 10 handhelds and corporate are for Q and a in the audience, right? That's, that's typically what they're for or an MC. Right. Um, but, but, nine times out of 10. So like when we start from a gain structure standpoint, you have to have that thing clearly audible and someone's holding that about middle of their chest at best. Right. And then people sometimes at Q and a Q&A will just go ahead and eat it. So maybe Aaron, talk about <laughs> how you have to work that, you know, uh, what tricks do you have to do to make that a thing? Oh man. All right. So buckle up. <laughs> um, <laughs> he just like readjusted. He's ready guys. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm stoked. So, one of the one of the starting from the beginning, you know, you have your uh, your handhelds and your lavs, and when you you, I like to operate uh, zeroing everything out uh, so that you're there's no like added or removed gain from the belt pack to the um, the link to the uh, to the receiver, and then the Imperative. output from the receiver hits my desk. Um, Worth noting here, those of you that use Shore stuff frequently, the line line mic switches on the back of your wireless receivers. The mic is just a pad down. Uh, it's not anything other than that. So if you want to operate at line level, you're good to go there. Um, but anyway, when once that stuff hits the desk, uh, I try and the most important thing that uh, helps you in corporate land is taking your inputs and busting them to groups of like things. Uh, so all of your lobs will go to some kind of post fade bus or fixed group or something uh, that's lobs. And that way you can do all of your room hacky EQ that you need to do to prevent feedback, etc., on that bus instead of on every single individual channel. And then Smart. same thing, you know, you create a group for your lectern mics and a group for your handheld mics and however you want to, whatever different kinds of sources you want. And the great part about that is that when midway through the show, because of, you know, because you only have 10 channels of wireless to work with, now you need to convert this channel from a lav channel to a handheld channel. All you have to do is change which group it was assigned to, mm-hmm. not totally re-EQ the channel and totally redo yep. the gain structure for it. Um, so that's the that's the first thing is like once you get everything in, run it through groups, send those groups to where you need them uh, to make it heard and either in the room or the broadcast or whatever you're doing. In terms of like gain structure for a handheld for me, um, I usually uh, I'll go out somewhere into the room fairly towards the front of the, you know, somewhere in front of the PA where 
someone will inevitably be speaking <laughs> and I'll start with the microphone, you know, about a foot away from me and get as much gain out of it. Uh, gain before feedback as I can, you know, really just keep pushing it until it starts ringing and then pull out whatever's ringing on the bus level uh, and go from there. In terms of compression, a couple of the tricks that I really like, uh, I am a big fan of the dynamic EQ in the Yamaha stuff uh, or any kind of similar multiband EQ. And I actually set it so it's like a low shelf that takes out that basically I start canceling proximity effect as it's happening. So I'll take the mic from about a foot away and I'll bring it closer and closer and as soon I set the threshold of that dynamic EQ so that as the proximity effect starts to really take over, the dynamic EQ is pushing it away and getting rid of it. And so you end up in a situation uh, that combined with, you know, traditional compression, uh, you end up in a situation where someone holding the mic, you know, a foot and a half away from him or someone that decided to eat it total volume wise you know the tonality will still be a little different but total volume wise you're not blowing your people out of the water uh once you have that mic up close talk about the the difference for people who may not understand or know um why can't you just accomplish the same thing with just a compressor and what the dynamic eq does for you i know but i want to explain to people who sure yeah the difference there so the dynamic eq uh is something that uh allows you to change the uh, amount of a frequency that you're letting through. So if you have a source with a very strong low frequency component, that's the, that's the thing that's going to punch your traditional compressor right away. Um, so, you know, um, think of it simply like, Hey, I take a kick drum your kick drum is going to you set the threshold of your compressor so that your kick drum slams it. And then if you turn that high pass up and you start taking out the low end of that kick drum, you're eventually not going to be hitting that compressor anymore uh, because all the meat that was making the compressor do its work is now gone. Dynamic EQ helps you in that same way, but still when the level is lower, lets that meet in uh, so that you're not losing that body entirely because you do still want the body there. You just mm-hmm. don't want it to become <clears throat> overpowering. So uh, with uh, cardioid microphones and as the microphone gets closer and closer, you have that proximity effect, that low end boominess that starts to take over. Dynamic EQ uh, allows you to push down some of that low end and all and actually rebalance re-eq but uh based on a threshold as opposed to just an overall change and i would say and kyle you could probably speak this from a rock and roll standpoint i think dynamic eqs in the higher range when you got like a screamer and stuff like that you can cut that 2k stuff and just have it compress that range and not crush the whole channel and lose the full tonality of a microphone by but if you were just to do right. just a simple compressor you're squashing that whole microphone as opposed to really only squashing but, the frequencies you need to squash right yep and and the whole key to what he said is is get it to the group and do it there right that's that's where the key is and and ryan ojohn talked about this on his episode as well when we were talking about good cop bad cop how things sit in the mix and going from the groups out that way you don't raise db you just control the frequencies that are affected in the proximity you know if a drummer starts smashing like it it's it's the same kind of bit you know you kind of put everything in this nice little pocket so nothing excites too much um cool that's brilliant though i think a lot of people need to hear that get everything gained correctly first and then get it to your groups and do stuff with it yeah and it doesn't you don't lose gain you don't have phasing problems everything happens at the bus level leaving the desk um, it, another thing that you have to work with that a lot of people don't is the Dugan stuff. Mm. And, um, with the new digital application of Dugan, how do you feel about like having so many available channels of that stuff for you now? Uh, it's great. <laughs> so <laughs> right? I was just thinking, I was, uh, I was chatting with someone recently and I was recalling, uh, a, an event that I had where, uh, we had like four or five people on the stage. It was in the round and, somehow 
the somehow being that the client asked for it uh and we were in a position where we had the channel so had to keep giving it to them uh by the end of the day there were 11 handhelds in the audience for q a oh Oh, no (laughs) just being all passed around and you know it it was it was kind of mayhem uh so trying to do something like that without uh without a dugan is really hard and the the real the even just for a any kind of simple panel discussion on stage the really clutch thing about the dugan auto mixer is that the however many channels you have in that group that's being auto mixed now has the effective gain acoustic gain of one microphone Mm -hmm. so you only need to eq out your full volume you know uh gain for one microphone and then if you have like six lobs you can bring them all up to unity at the same level and they'll all still it'll have that same stability as just one did uh so that's what really that's what really makes it uh I'm not going to say easy, but it takes a <laughs> lot of guesswork out of things, and it vastly improves the sound quality in the room. That's awesome. I want to make Remember sure when you used to just get like four channels of Dugan, and that's like you had to decide <laughs> yeah. where you're going to put yeah. it. All yeah. right, so I'm going to ask real dumb questions. So, how does that auto mixer work? Like, are you you're putting your sources right into the auto mixer? It's doing its thing. It's coming out. Apparently, it's super stable. We love it. Talk me through the in between. So there's a there's a very very tiny clone of Dan Dugan that sits inside the console. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> he sees everyone come in. He sees the signal come in, and he's like, "Oh, are you're talking? You're not talking. You're talking. You're not talking." And if someone's talking, he lets them in. And if someone's not talking, he doesn't let them in. So uh, it's it's a really fast expander. Uh, essentially so uh, and and it's an expander that where all the channels that are in the same group the expansion is being informed by the other channels Um, so it's like this cross side chaining kind of uh, expansion more or less that's really fast magic and and if if inserted properly which is post fade um, uh, it's relative to your fader level as well. So, y- you know, we're often still mixing things. If I need to give precedence to a person or whatever, I can duck someone or pull someone down. There's also weightings within there. Like if you have a moderator, you want to give them a little more weight than everyone else so that the Dugan gives, you know, uh, there's there's a handful of different tricks um, of, of how that physically works. But you're, you're basically inserting it on each individual channel um, and because it's an insert, it's just working within within that channel of itself. Cool. Like it doesn't it doesn't inherently sum to a bus. You, you that's your own routing of of summing channels to a bus. Um, I want to some just implementations of it. Some consoles auto mix algorithms do sum to a bus. True, uh, true. Which good to know is another is a separate conversation. For time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hey, everybody. I hope you are enjoying this conversation with Aram. I know I really enjoyed it. And due to some legal and logistical reasons, we need to stop this episode here. But we're going to continue with part two, talking about Aram's new job at the president's own United States Marine Band. It is a an amazing job that he got to move on to, and we'll dig all into that in part two. So stick around and look out for the next episode. Thanks. <laughs>